scripture reading this morning will be from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. It's 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11. Pew Bibles, that's page 1084. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It is so good to see you here this morning, and today may seem like a Sunday uh, that, that is just like the other 51, or I think we actually have 53 Sundays this year, uh, any other Sunday of the year, but uh, today is also the day where my career is on the line, and I was overjoyed to see all of you out meandering in the hallway, uh, looking through uh, the, the booths, meeting the deacons, talking about uh, the ministries, and it's just, it encourages me to see so many people walk in uh, borderline later, a little bit late, because they wanted to to look at what was going on in the hallway. It is Involvement Sunday, and before we get started, uh, I want to talk about a few of the major things going on in the church right now. Uh, we've had a lot of a lot of things happen in the past year, and and uh, one of the things that we are doing as a staff and, and the leadership in the church is trying to do is better organize uh, how we do church. Uh, we, we're trying to retool the Bible classes that we have uh, to be more natural. Uh, we call this the shepherding program, and Tim Martin is heading that up for us. Uh, and we will be getting that curriculum today in the classes, and we will be studying it uh, beginning next week, seven days from now, and uh, for, for the rest of uh, the quarter remaining. And that will uh, be available to you in your classes today. Remember to pick that up. Heavily tied to that and the shepherding program is our involvement ministry and all the, the organization of ministries that we have that we call uh, the SOS, Serving Our Savior. And uh, that's what's going on in the hallway. It is Involvement Sunday, and we are having all those ministries where you can visit and learn a little bit of something about them. Uh, in addition to that, you will be signing up for ministries today, where you would like to work, what you would like to do in the church. And we want to make that as easy as possible for you. And so what we have done is uh, you will be receiving two forms in your Bible class today. One you will keep and one you will fill out and turn in. Uh, it will look something, something like this. It's got uh, Serving Our Savior on the cover, and it's called the Agape Form. And what the Agape Form is, is if uh, you're a member here and you're familiar with the SOS booklet, uh, this is the SOS booklet just uh, kind of thinned down a little bit for you to fill out. Uh, and then it's split into two parts. The second part that you'll receive, you'll actually keep for your reference. And this is called the Ministry Catalog. 
and you will be able to hold on to this. You'll be able to reference it. It has uh, not only a picture of each elder, deacon, or staff member uh, leading uh, or heading up each ministry. It has a description of what that ministry is and a short mission statement. So you'll be able to keep this even after you turn your form in and have an idea throughout the year if you'd like to serve in any other areas. Those two things are, are kind of how the church is going to to continue to organize its members and ministries so that God can be glorified uh, all the more effectively and uh, we can keep up with a thousand people. You may have taken a sociology class. You may have taken a, a, uh, a class where you studied psychology or, or physiology or something like that, the nature of human beings and if you have, chances are you have learned about a girl named Jeannie. Jeannie was born in 1958 in California. Uh, she was discovered by a social worker in California about 1970 uh, when her mother brought her to a welfare office seeking benefits for the blind. At the time, the, the social worker thought that Jeannie was about six or seven years old because she only weighed about 56, 57 pounds. And then her mother told her that the girl was actually 13 years old. And the lady immediately called, uh, the worker immediately called uh, protective services and, and uh, the proper authorities. Authorities discovered that Jeannie had been socially isolated for the first 12 to 13 years of her life. Parents kept her in a room in her house. She, was, uh, she spent most of the time strapped to a bedside toilet and wearing diapers. And when she wasn't in that contraption, she was bound in a sleeping bag and put inside of a cradle and covered up with a piece of metal. Uh, her father beat her for talking and wouldn't allow her, her uh, mother or any of the other siblings in the house. There was one other, I think one or two other siblings to talk to uh, to Jeannie. And so this really was detrimental uh, to Jeannie's vocabulary, uh, her, her communication abilities to be able to talk to other human beings. When they found her, she only knew about 20 words and a few short phrases, and most of them were negative. Otherwise, she was mute. When she walked, she didn't walk like other humans because she really hadn't seen enough of them to learn how to walk. So when they first found her, she would kind of hobble along in the picture you have on the right side there. Uh, she would kind of do what they called a, a bunny walk. She would have her hands out in front, kind of like claws or, or a paws of an animal because nobody had taught her how to walk. And once found, Jeannie uh, gathered interest from a lot of scientists and psychologists and uh, people in social uh, social research because they were trying to they were trying to observe her and and prove or learn about how human beings learn the ability to communicate what separates us from animals the ability uh, to communicate and I'm talking from a scientific perspective here this is was this was their thinking so they wanted to know how are we going to to uh, learn from Jeannie on this and also can we nurse her back to health she spent a lot of time in foster homes. Uh, after a few months, she had learned a few new words, and they had taught her to dress herself. She would communicate with some familiar people uh, that, that she saw on a regular basis. And a lot of people had affection for her. They would drop off uh, toys and plastic uh, objects because that's what she liked, and they would leave them for her and try to get uh, connected with her. 
all in all, she had a really difficult time talking to other humans. She'd mostly communicate in nonverbal skills because that was all she had done for over a decade. She's eventually housed by the state, and uh, she's still alive today. Jeannie is her name to protect her, her real identity. One thing is clear from Jeannie's life. In addition to the injustice, to the, to the cruelty that uh, was done to her, she was unable to learn as a human being because her sources for learning were cut off. They weren't available. As individuals, we cannot teach ourselves uh, much at all. We receive teaching, behavior, uh, language, and emotion from something or someone other than ourselves. Everything we have, we receive from a source other than ourselves. We get it from somewhere. That may have been proven in the 1970s with Jeannie and many other scientific experiments, but it's been known that that was the case all along, and it's evident in God's Word. It's the same with the concept of service. We learn it from somewhere. We do it for a reason. Where do we learn service? Why, why do we serve in the first place? Serving is, uh, service is the, the most, one of the most prevalent, yet one of the most misunderstood concepts in Christianity, I think. How do we misunderstand service? We misunderstand service, or we mislearn service, when we misunderstand or mislearn God himself. This morning, one, I want to look at a few wrong sources of, of why we serve in the church. Two, I want to examine God's word and I want, to see, uh, I want us to see what the Bible has to say about uh, service. And then three, I want to determine the right and the only source of service as mentioned in God's word. Just like drinking water, uh, our behavior in the church must spring from a source somewhere else, somewhere other than ourselves. Uh, you wouldn't go out into the toilet in the bathrooms right now and, and grab you a drink of water. Uh, you wouldn't go out to the creek or find a mud puddle in a construction site parking lot and try to get you a glass of water. Why not? Because we want to drink something like that that we put in ourselves from a pure source. We want it to have a, a pure origin and we want to know where it's been. It's the same with service. Service can either come from a pure motive or a contaminated motive. It can either come from God or from self. Let's look at Joe. Joe didn't grow up in the church. He came to Christ later in his adulthood, and he loved spending time with his church friends. He was constantly busy at church because, well, that's just how the church that he went to was, uh, always in a flurry of activity, and he didn't know anything else to do but serve because that's all anyone did around him. Well, soon things at that congregation began to cool off. Uh, things got a little bit slower. Friends stopped coming or Joe's friends went somewhere else to church and Joe's service and involvement left shortly after. Joe's source of service was friends, so when they left, so did service. Joanne didn't grow up in church either. So when she came to Christ, she didn't know much about it. All she did know was that her church was always emphasizing service and it was always a flurry of activity as well. She enjoyed projects and people. They made her feel good. They made her feel like she was valuable, like she was worth something. Over time, she noticed 
that she didn't serve when she was outside of church as much as she did when she was in. Sometimes she wouldn't serve outside of church at all. She started feeling heavy guilt over every time she didn't serve or help with something at church. Guilt just kept her coming back for more and more. And eventually she gave up the Christian walk because she was just so tired of feeling guilty all the time. Joanne's service ended up being uh, sourced in guilt. And so when she grew tired of feeling guilty, she grew tired of serving. Riley's case was similar But he had grown up in church his whole life. You see, if you were a part of Riley's family, you were obligated to go to church and serve. That obligation never brought Riley to Christ in true. It just uh, gave him more, more of a sense of feeling obligated all the time. He felt obligated to be baptized, to avoid an unpleasant life after death. He felt obligated to read scripture, to knock doors, to visit nursing homes, to help uh, with church maintenance. And this continued for decades. He eventually felt that he had done enough work and that he was no longer obligated for anything but to come to Wednesday night uh, church and Sunday morning and Sunday night church. So that's all he did. Riley's source of service sprang from obligation. And when Riley grew tired of being obligated all the time to please other people and to make himself feel better, well, he grew tired of service. Last but not least, there's Monica. Monica was a faithful teen in a smaller congregation where her family had been for for generations. Her parents had gone to church there, her grandparents, their parents, and so on and so on. And Monica was proud to be a part of a church where her family had been there for so long. And that changed once she went to college. She found herself always busy with tests, busy with exams, busy with extra social activities. She just didn't have the time to serve But when she could go back home for the summer, she would renew her streak in serving. But after graduation, she was hired out by a big company to a job, to a career that took her hours away from home. Once her church home was totally absent and she was far away from her family, she didn't serve anymore. Monica's source of service was family and tradition. And once she was far enough away from those sources, she was far away from serving. There are thousands of reasons that people serve. I serve because no one else will. I serve so I can have control and influence. I serve because I have to. I serve because it makes me feel good about myself. I serve because I don't want to feel guilty. I serve to make up for the wrong that I've done. I serve so people will notice me and what I can do. These are some of the unspoken, but some of the honest anthems that Christians have in their hearts across the board. And since this is the Sunday where the congregation at Mount Julie emphasizes the act, the concept of serving, it's fitting to make sure we are certain of why we serve in the church, why we work for the Lord in his kingdom. If those are not the right reasons to serve, then what is the right reason to serve? I know it seems a little unrelated that our title is Service and that we're in the book of 1 John and we read those verses on love, but, but uh, just follow me and we will get to where the two connect. The Christian recipients of 1 John had opponents in the church that had slightly altered their, their understanding of Christ. Uh, 
they had, they had begun to say that God could not change and God could not die. And since that was the case, that they began to say that Christ, uh, Jesus from Nazareth, was, was not really divine in his nature, but, but uh, he was just a regular human like you and I were. And uh, that a spirit of divinity descended upon him at his birth, and then, or at his baptism, and then it left him right before he was crucified because God can't die or, or change in any way. And this, this Christology, even though it seemed like a, a slight shift at the time, had disastrous results, even to the effect that some people were, were taking this understanding of God and, and just theorizing and, and using words and, and theories. That's all they were doing. They weren't behaving like Christ. They weren't emulating Jesus Christ and his example. They were only about words and theories and not about words and deeds. And John writes this letter to, to provide the church a way to determine who has a, a true understanding of God, that he is light, that he is love, who walks in the light, who abides in love and therefore abides in God. He wanted to separate those people from the people that had this skewed understanding, this uh, misconception about who Jesus really was. And although, although there are many places in the New Testament where we could easily, fo- uh, easily realize the following points, I want to scan two chapters in 1 John. Did you know that the word love or the concept of love is, is mentioned in John over 40 times? And all but one or two of those times is mentioned in 1 John chapter 3 and chapter 4. It is in these chapters about love that we find the source of service. And I, and I have uh, three, three points up here. And if you're a note taker, you better take advantage of this because I hardly ever do three points. But I want to chart the simple process that talks about where we get a source for service. And it's these three points. It's so simple, you might just, you might just tune out and not pay attention right now, but stay with me. Number one, God is love. Fact. Number two, God gave us love, and he did that in the specific form of Jesus Christ, his son, and he died in a very specific way and rose in a specific way, and he lived his life in a very uh, intentional way to show us an example of love. Three, once we realize that and we use that as a source of love, we then have and give love ourselves, uh, to ourselves, back to God, to other people, and that is defined as service. It's defined as service. I want to uh, scan some of these verses in in, uh, 1 John and see if this is right, if this is biblical. Uh, God is love. Fact. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. 1 John 4 and verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John uh, chapter 4 and verse 16, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. God is love. Love is the given characteristic of God. He is the, he is the source of love. Now let's define love. There's all kinds of different ways and uh, words and, and uh, actions that we ascribe love to. You could say, uh, I love pizza. I love my family. I love my car. I love my spouse and so forth. Uh, the love between a husband and wife. 
How is that based off of God? Well, in the New Testament, it redefines love that husbands and wives have for each other out of the example of Christ. God is love. God should be the source of it. Otherwise, it is a selfish, false love. What about the love between a child and a parent? You can have love between a child and a parent if you take God out of the equation, right? A lot of parents love their children. Well, who created the whole family system? Who created the mother and father that have the child? God. In nature, we can see God's specific love by observing the love that parents have for their children and vice versa. We could, we could talk about God's love and how it's evident in a healthy love for ourselves. And God is the source of that. He's the source of fulfillment and self-esteem and identity We get that from God. God is love, but he's so much bigger than that. I want to look at uh, another set of verses that take us to our second point. God gave us love in the specific form of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And here's where John's going to say, God is love. And how do you know what love is? I'm, I'm going to tell you what love is. Look at John, uh, 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Notice, that is, that is uh, definable. That is tangible. It's objective. You can put behaviors and actions and measurable uh, words to the love of God. It's not an abstract context. Uh, 1 John 4.7 for love is of God. 1 John 4, 9, In this the love of God was manifested or revealed toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Let's look at uh, a few more verses here. If you keep going down uh, in 1 John chapter 4, or 1 John chapter 3, there we go. First John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And here, here it is again. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. Again, this is uh, some source language here. Where does love come from? Uh, in First John chapter 4 and verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. God gave us a specific love revealed in the person that we know as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And since we wouldn't know what love is without God, because you can't have water without a source, you can't have love without God, God became our source of love by putting His Son on a cross as payment for our sins. We do not really know love except through God. We may say that we love someone or something, but without God's love, that claim is a selfish love, one based on benefits or love based on worth or value or utility. The love of God lets us know in that sentence, in those uh, verses, what kind of love we're talking about. Where is this love of? It's of God. We cannot get the love of God from another source other than God himself. Let's look at the third point in Scripture and how it's uh, revealed in it. Three, then, we then have love uh, and we give love ourselves to other people. Uh, I got too many pieces of paper up here. 
1 John 2.10, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So, to avoid stumbling, to have no cause for that, we have to love our brother. Well, where do we get love from? What's the source? God. 1 John 3.10, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Again, we have to go back to the source to get love. 1 John 3 and verse 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. So again, we are loving something, and it's because we got love from the source, God himself. Uh, 1 John three sixteen, the tail end of the verse, it talks about what God did to love us, and then it talks about what we do. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3, verse 17, But whoever has this world's good and, uh, goods and sees his brother in need and shuts his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So it gets even more specific. Past the tangible act of Jesus Christ, God says, just as Jesus Christ loved you, or showed you that God loved you, you have to love other people. And then he defines it even more specifically. If you have goods and someone else does not have it, and you shut your heart against them and don't give him, uh, don't share with him your goods, if you don't love your brother, God's love doesn't abide in you. You see how God is going from this big, immeasurable concept down to this really fine, tangible idea that we can see and measure in our lives. God's love is tangible and therefore ours is too. Once we have love initiated by God in a tangible way on the cross, we then can have and give love in a tangible way to other people. This, this is true service. When we talk about service, we're not talking about works righteousness or things that make us feel good or things that we feel obligated to do. We're talking about the love of God. If our love is not the unselfish type of love uh, that God displayed through Jesus, then it is from another source. If our love is from a source other than God, then the way that we display love every day will be as well. If the way we display love is not uh, from, from God's love, then we are not really serving. We're just doing something else for ourselves. If our service doesn't spring from the cross, then it's not service. It's selfishness. But 1 John clearly teaches that service is not selfishness. Service is the outworking of God's love through Jesus Christ through us every day. And if service is the outworking of genuine love because uh, God is love, then God is service too. If service is the outworking of genuine love and God is love, then God is service too. Take your Bible and scan with me here these verses again and I want to put a different I want to put a different word in here I want to put the word service in the place of love after all if they are both of God and love and, and service is love in action let's see if this works 1 John 3 verses 10 and 11 in this the children of God and the children of, devil, of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not serve his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should serve one another. 
three sixteen and following. By this we know service, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's good and see, uh, goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the service of God abide in him? My little children, let us not serve in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Look at verse 23, a few verses down. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and serve one another as he gave us commandment. Look at chapter 4 in the passage that was read this morning. Beloved, let us serve one another, for service is of ourselves? No. Service is of God, and everyone who serves is born of God and knows God. He who does not serve does not know God, for God is service. In this, the service of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is service, not that we serve God, but that He served us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so served us, we also ought to serve one another. Look at verse 19 in chapter 4. We serve Him because He first served us. Look at verse 21. And this is the commandment we have from Him, that he who serves God must serve his brother also. Do we have an obligation as Christians to serve one another? Yes, because it is a command from God. Should we feel godly sorrow when we neglect to serve others? Yes, because when we neglect serving others, we refuse ourselves to be conformed to the image of God. But, but, service is the natural outworking of love we receive from God. Obligation is too, too cold a word to describe service done in tangible acts to Christ. Guilt is too weak of a concept to describe the detrimental effects we will experience when we pass on serving others in God's name. I guess when we observe the love that God has for us, the offering of His Son, the pain and the shame that He endured on the cross, the power God displayed for us when He raised Jesus from the dead, the promises that He makes uh, every day, the blessings that He gives us and our families moment by moment, I guess when we think about a God like that, There are no words to describe why we serve. Words at a moment of realization like that are cheap and they only confuse. When we see what God has done for us, service is natural because we're full of the source of service, God's love. On a day like today where we hold up service as a virtue, let's remember that we hold it up not because it's the greatest thing in and of itself, We hold it up because it is a very characteristic of God himself. Let's remember that we are a serving church, not because we don't know what else to do, not because we want to glorify ourselves, not because we want to look busy and professional and put other churches to shame. We are a serving church because God initiated love to us. And we know nothing else to do except experience his love and serve others. If you have not experienced the love of God, but you would like to, it's incredible. It can change your life. It is the only thing that has the power to change a human being into something else. It is the only source 
that will give you true service, that will give you a fulfilled life. You can be baptized into Christ and therefore receive the same status, the blessings that are in Christ. You can share in the same faith that Jesus shared by participating in his death. You will also participate in resurrection to eternal life and you'll be a part of the church. If you have experienced the love of God, but you have forgotten, maybe you've forgotten what it feels like. Maybe you have, have stumbled and, and just started looking elsewhere for reasons to serve, or you're looking at the world again, we encourage you today to to return to the love of God, to serve for the right reasons, to be passionate about God's will. Whatever you need, if there's anything we can help you with today, I want you to please come as we stand and sing.